Welcome to another episode of Cowboy Smart Money. This podcast is to enhance the financial strength and resilience of service members in the state of Wyoming. And today, again, episode <laughs> five, we have financial guru here uh, again, uh, Glenn Lyons. He is the personal financial counselor for the service members of Wyoming. And we also have, again, Captain Holscher from the 153rd. He's the comp over there so thank you both again for being here and I think you're gonna be the uh, ongoing people here anyway for this podcast so (laughs) people get used to having you here it's good to be here thank you thank you so this episode is about life insurance and it's always good to talk about life insurance so we'll go ahead and let's get started absolutely you know Glenn I think uh People are obviously probably familiar with car insurance. They see the commercials all the time. They're probably familiar with their homeowner's insurance policy. But can you just surface level talk about what is life insurance and what its purpose is? Right. Now, that's a great question because we hear it, and a lot of people run the other direction when they hear it. Uh, they're they're not uh, crazy about talking about life insurance because for most people, that means that somebody's got to die. Yeah, it's a tough and topic to think nobody about. Nobody really wants to deal with that. But uh, in fact, what life insurance is, it's a tool. Uh, and I, I had a gentleman tell me one day that it was invented by God. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I'm not sure that they were too far wrong on that, because what it, it allows you to do is to take care of the people that you love and care about after you're gone. Uh, and there is nothing else that suffices to do that in quite the way that life insurance does. Effectively, life insurance is a promise to pay. And so in exchange for a monthly premium that you give the insurance company, they guarantee that upon your death, they will pay out a benefit that you have specified uh, to your beneficiary, which may be uh, enough to pay off the bills. It may be enough to replace your income. It may be enough to send your children to college. It may be enough to do all of those things. Uh, In the case of a business, it can be used to uh, buy out the business interests of a partner who is deceased uh, and pay the family uh, of that partner. So life insurance effectively is an instrument uh, that is a promise to pay a beneficiary uh, that will do the things that you would have done financially if you're not here. Okay. Great answer. But it explains a lot for folks, especially new people. Maybe this is the first job for them here, maybe at the Wyoming Military Department, and they're trying to figure out what they should do. A lot of people do run the other way when they hear about it because they don't understand it. And it's a tool. It's like any other financial tool that you have. Uh, Some tools are for retirement. Some tools are for emergencies. This one is going to be the foundation of a financial portfolio because if you're not here, the rest of it won't be completed anyway. Exactly. So what are the different kinds of life insurance? There are many different kinds of life insurance. I'm going to cover probably three or four, uh, but the primary two types of life insurance are whole life and term life. Whole life insurance is a 
an, an asset in your portfolio, and it is designed to last you your whole life. And that's where the word comes from. Uh, the premium remains the same uh, for your entire life. Um, as long as you as long as you pay the the premium, the policy remains in force. People don't understand life insurance very well, but they understand houses very well. And so I tend to use this analogy. Um, whole life insurance is like buying the house. Term life insurance is temporary. It's usually for a specific period of time. The rates go up as you get older, and at some point, you won't be insurable anymore for a term policy because you will be too old. And so it's more like renting the house. Um, and, and, and having said that, because there are certain connotations that go with buying a house versus renting the house, uh, people ask which one is better. And the answer is, it depends on your circumstances because the primary function of the insurance is to pay a death benefit if you die. Much is the same with a house in that the primary purpose is to keep the rain and snow off if it's storming outside. And if it's storming or someone has died, no one cares whether or not it was whole life or term. They just care whether or not there was enough death benefit to provide for the family. You know, Glenn, you brought up a lot of different scenarios when uh, life insurance is applicable or, or definitely a part of a, a financial portfolio. I think the next question a lot of folks have as they begin to look at their own finances or their hopes, plans, dreams, uh, you name it, is like, how much do I need? How much coverage do I need to have in place for all the variables that might be applicable in my in my situation? Right. That's a really good question. Um, and it absolutely varies from individual to individual. There is no one size fits all. However, you can do a fairly quick back of the napkin kind of calculation based on probably three or four um, objectives. The first objective would be, do you have debt that needs to be paid off in the event of your death, either for yourself or for your family? Uh, and so you, you add up all the debt. Uh, the second thing, and just as important, is uh, your income is going to be gone. You're the money machine, okay? When you die, that money machine stops. And so if you had a money machine in your garage that was producing $50,000 a year, would you insure it? And if so, for how much? Would you insure it for 10 years, which would be $500,000? Would you insure it for 20 years, which would be a million dollars? How much would you insure that money machine for? Because that's what you are. And so you have to make a calculation based on your family circumstances or the beneficiary circumstances to decide how much of your income you want to replace. And then from that, you might subtract uh, Social Security benefits for surviving uh, minor children or surviving spouse. If you already have some life insurance through an employer, that would come off. The SGLI might come off of that amount. And, and then whatever is left over would be how much you, you would need uh, to, to pick up in addition to what you have. Um, the other calculations that could go into that would be if you wanted to provide a legacy uh, for a charity, uh, something for college, for children. Uh, it really comes down to what the individual wants to do because they're buying the money to do it. And that's the bottom line with it. It's really one of those things where 
you know, that planning and that decision making cannot happen in a vacuum. You need to have a conversation with those loved ones and say, you know, if I were to pass, if something were to happen, what are your plans? What are your thoughts? And work with the financial planner, work as a, a your your loved ones come together and, and have that plan because you don't want the alternative. That's exactly right. And sometimes the financial planner can be the, the, the facilitator of that conversation because those conversations are very difficult to have, especially if you're sitting at the, the kitchen table with your wife or your husband uh, and you're going, you know, well, what if, I, what if I died? And the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, well, we don't want to talk about that. Uh, and, and I am here to tell you it's a whole lot better to talk about it before than after. Uh, so the, the financial planner uh, can be a facilitator in that conversation, but the conversation absolutely does need to happen. So this leads right into the next question. Um, should other people I'm close to um, have life insurance, Glenn? That's a great question. Um, and, and the answer is um, actually twofold. First of all, is there an economic relationship between you and those other people. Uh, and if there is, then if they passed away, would that affect you financially? And a lot of times I have had uh, in my career, uh, people tell me that, you know, their, their, their spouse stays home. There's really no income that would be lost. Uh, but what I would suggest to you is that if you lose your spouse or your partner in life, uh, you're probably not going to work the next day, okay? And if you have small children at home, uh, if there's nothing there to support you, then you do have to go back to work. And effectively, they may have lost both parents uh, because the one is working full-time trying to make ends meet. Um, there's now a daycare provider where the other spouse was uh, or the other partner was, and, and, and the, the, the children have effectively lost both partners. Uh, the other, the other um, issue that comes up is, is life insurance on children. Uh, should we have life insurance on children? Well, exactly the same answer. If your child dies, you're not going to work the next day. Have you got something there so that you can take the time uh, with you and your spouse to heal from that. Um, when, when a child dies and there's a, a, a relationship, uh, most times that relationship will end uh, through divorce. And sometimes it actually ends in suicide. Uh, and you can imagine, you know, the blame, the guilt, those kinds of things. So the answer is yes, you probably should have insurance on the people that are close to you because it absolutely affects you financially. And, and your ability to uh, to continue to be uh, a parent and 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 provide quality of life. Yeah, and in your lowest of lows, the last thing you want to worry about is how am I going to pay my electric bill? That's how exactly am I going right. to cover the funeral costs? That's, that's something that you want to just take for granted. It's going to be okay. Nope, that's exactly right. So I'm a believer now. You've sold me. <laughs> I'm very passionate I'm, I'm about the, this I'm subject. in the marketplace for a term life insurance policy or a whole life policy. What's the next step? Where do I go? Where do, can I shop for life insurance? Can I, can I call up one of those dozen of insurance agencies I see cut commercials for when I'm watching football on Sunday? How, how do I find someone to, to 
shop life insurance from? Um, what I would suggest is that you do indeed shop it. And you should uh, compare probably four or five different companies. Uh, you're going to want to compare the companies, and you're going to want to compare the agents, the people that are helping you. Uh, when you're dealing with a subject like life insurance, um, you really do want somebody that gives a darn about your family and you and will take the time to ask the hard questions and facilitate the conversation so that uh, the amount of insurance is correct, uh, the type of insurance is correct, that it fits within your uh, ability to pay for it, uh, and that it, it pulls together all of your goals. The, the person that's, that's actually selling the product is, is a, a critical player in, in that decision. Um, you don't want your spouse to call 1-800-FILE-MY-CLAIM if you die. Okay, you want somebody that's going to show up on the door and find out how things are and have a conversation and to help that survivor maintain uh, the household and make the right decisions. That's one of the roles. And if they aren't willing to ask the hard questions up front when you're buying the insurance, they're probably not going to show up at claim time because they're not going to get paid at claim time. Okay, so, um, so you want to compare the companies. You want to lay the policies side by side. Uh, most companies will give you illustrations of what their policies will look like in terms of value. Because keep in mind that with life insurance, you are quite literally buying money. Okay, a dollar, does it buy $100 worth of life insurance? Does it buy $50 worth of life insurance? How much insurance does it buy? Uh, there is absolutely a, a financial uh, component to this, and when you're buying money, you want to be as effective and as efficient as you possibly can. So, Glenn, I'm always hearing about your rates being determined by like health or your age, or maybe I'm avid skydiver. Right. <laughs> so, what does determine the rates uh, that of what I'll pay and for coverage? All, it, it really is all okay. of those things. Okay. Uh, depends on how old that you are. Okay, because life insurance is based on your age. If you're 90 years old, the insurance is going to look at you and they're going to go, hmm, not sure how much longer this person's going to be around. So the rates are going to be a lot higher. Uh, if you're 20 years old, chances are you're going to be around a long time. Uh, they're also going to take a look at your health. Uh, generally, they're going to put you through some kind of a physical. They're going to uh, weigh you and measure you, take your blood pressure. They may uh, ask for a blood uh, and urine uh, specimen uh, so that they can run it through and make sure that you're not using drugs. Um, find out if you uh, use tobacco. Um, all of those things uh, are going to, to have an influence. And you mentioned skydiving. And in fact, uh, if you're a skydiver or a pilot, what they'll look at is your experience with that. How long you've been doing it. If it's your first jump, rates are going to be higher. Um, <laughs> that quite literally happened to me. I had a young man many years ago that came in and, and wanted to buy some life insurance. And, and we were all good to go. And at the very last minute, he mentioned that he was going to parachute into his brother's wedding uh, in <laughs> oh, Longmont. Wow. And uh, it was going to be a one-time thing, but the insurance company doesn't see it that way. And um, his rates quadrupled, and he subsequently did not buy the life insurance. However, 
if you own the life insurance and later on you decide to take up parachute uh, jumping or race car driving, uh, once that contract is issued, the insurance company has to live with it. They're not going to change those rates if you decide to take up skydiving. You don't have to tell them, in fact. Uh, but they are going to uh, see if you've got diabetes. They're going to make sure that your blood pressure is where it ought to be, that you haven't had a heart attack. Those kinds of things are going to weigh you and measure you, make sure that you're not uh, overweight or, in, uh, in the uh, language of the profession, under height. <laughs> uh, but uh, so, so they're going to look at those things, and then they're going to make you an offer, which is one reason why you want to buy your life insurance while you're in good health. Um, because generally, as people get older, their health does not get better. And once they get sick, oftentimes their health does not get better either. That is uh, sort of a common myth. Well, I'll be better in two years. Maybe not. Right. Okay. And that's probably why, again, to go back to a previous question, why it's so important to shop is those underwriters from company A to company B maybe have different weights on different scenarios or different equations. And so uh, what may cause policy to increase for one member, a, a second company may not weight that as much. And so they may see a, a decrease. And so it's, it pays so much to shop and look around because you may see dramatic price differences just because of the weight factors companies apply to risk and apply to scenarios. That's absolutely true. And it's not only true for premium, but it's also true on the whole life insurance side for cash values and dividends. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, some company may average smokers and non-smokers and offer everybody a similar rate, where another company will say, you know what, non-smokers live longer, they deserve a better rate, and their cash values will be higher in the policy, the death benefit will be higher for the same amount of premium. Interesting. Pays the shop. Are there any benefits that are available to policyholders while they're alive? Are there, are there things that they can use their life insurance policy for while they're still living? There are. Uh, if uh, particularly if it's whole life insurance. Uh, with term, uh, probably not so much uh, because you really are renting it from year to year and you can stop paying for it at any time. It's less expensive. Uh, it does indicate to some people, if the question comes up, a uh, level of responsibility, uh, which can be of some value uh, while you're alive. Uh, with the whole life insurance policy, however, uh, there is a financial um, wealth being built inside the policy in the form of cash value, uh, much like the equity in your home. Uh, it's building up. You can borrow against that cash value uh, without having to fill out an application or explain why you need the money. Uh, you can cash the policy out if for some reason you don't need it anymore. Again, I come back to the analogy of your home. Uh, you can take a home equity loan. Uh, well, with life insurance, you can borrow uh, up to about 90% of the cash value at any time that you want. And then with, uh, with uh, a good company, uh, oftentimes dividends can be used to repay that cash value loan. Um, ultimately, the, the loan, if, if you pass away, is subtracted from 
from the death benefit, uh, but it does provide a living value. It can be collateralized uh, if for some reason you were wanting to go into business uh, or um, had some reason to get a loan and the lending party wanted some kind of collateral, you could use that cash value as collateral for the loan. Really? Yes. Okay, so what if I uh, don't end up passing away, but then, uh, you know, instead I become disabled. What happens with my life insurance or what does it cover? So, um, and, and I guess I, I would take issue with the premise. <laughs> um, as far as I know, everybody does pass away. Um, and so if you own a permanent life insurance policy, otherwise known as a whole life insurance policy, as long as you pay those premiums, somebody sometime is going to get a death benefit. That's vastly different from any other insurance that you can buy. You may never wreck your car. You may never go to the hospital. Uh, you might not lo- end up in a long-term care facility. Uh, but sooner or later, everybody does pass away. And so with permanent insurance, uh, that death benefit is going to be payable to someone. But to speak more directly, I think, to what you were trying to get at, and that is what happens if you become disabled. And that's a very significant issue. Uh, Most life insurance policies will offer you for a very small uh, additional premium, what's called waiver of premium, on that policy. And they will actually pay the premium on the policy if you become disabled. Okay, what is important to understand when you're reviewing and shopping those policies is you, you really do need to compare what the definition of disability is because what one insurance company says is a disability, another insurance company might not. Uh, and, in, and in fact, you know, uh, one, one company may say that if you're unable to perform the uh, duties of any occupation, then you're disabled. Well, what if you're a brain surgeon? Uh, can you go do something? Yeah, probably. Can you pay for the insurance? Probably not. Uh, good waiver premium uh, definition is going to say if you're unable to perform the principal duties of your occupation, uh, then you are considered to be disabled, and they will pay the premiums uh, on the policy. Uh, so uh, disability insurance is an additional type of insurance that goes uh, oftentimes hand-in-hand with life insurance, uh, and that is an insurance policy that is designed to replace your income if you're disabled. Uh, Not to be confused with the waiver premium that we just talked about, but you can buy disability insurance. Oh, okay. You know, if you watch the news at all or read the newspapers, you know, is the stock market going to go up? Is it going to go down? Yes, uh, Dow, it will. You know, the Dow 20, are we going to have Dow of 50,000 or is it going to be 7,000 next year? And so people are, have been, for years, I think probably for eternity, have been trying to guess the future when it comes to finances and money mm-hmm. in the markets. And, but one thing I can probably confidently say is that a dollar today is going to be worth more than a dollar 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. So people will probably ask, okay, I, I buy a, a $500,000 term policy now, but does that does that adjust for inflation? Will it be worth more than $500,000 30 years from now if I were to pass away? Or is it, no, it is what it is. It is what it is, oh. particularly if it's a term policy. Sure. Now, with, with a permanent policy, uh, some companies pay dividends. 
okay? Uh, mutual life insurance companies are owned by their policyholders, and those companies often pay dividends. Um, those dividends are often, in fact, almost always redirected into the policy so that they increase the death benefit over time. That is no substitute for reviewing the insurance coverage on a regular basis for exactly the reasons that you talked about. Inflation will eat away at the value of, of the money that you bought. Uh, but more importantly, your needs will change. Right. And so those should be re reviewed, uh, I would say, at least annually with with a uh, professional financial advisor uh, to say, you know, have I got the right amount of insurance still? And they'll go, well, let's see, you've had uh, a child since we talked, uh, you started a business, uh, and you bought a house. Probably not. Okay, so what may have been good a year ago may not be good now. Uh, from a purely inflation perspective, uh, it's still going to be important to review that, even if your needs don't change. Right. So you, you, what may sound like enough money now, extrapolated out 20 years from now, may not. That's correct. It may still be because your situation may change, but it's important to have that conversation. And, and it it should still that. be reviewed on a regular basis. So you basically answered this next question or a lot of it in that last uh, question, but is it easy to adjust a poli policy if your needs change? Okay. So, so, um, you can always adjust it down. <laughs> you may not be able to adjust it up depending on your health. Mm. If you had a heart attack six months ago and you go, you know, I bought $100,000 worth of life insurance last year, but I just had a heart attack. I want to increase that to a million dollars. The insurance company is probably going to tell you to pound, to pound sand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, again, this is one of the reasons that you want to buy the right amount of insurance to begin with, uh, because you may not get a second chance to do this. I take the approach, uh, I have always taken the, the approach when I was selling life insurance that I only get one shot at this. My client could die tomorrow. Uh, they could become disabled uh, or become uninsurable tomorrow. And so I only get one shot at getting this right. Uh, and I, I, take the, uh, I take the position that you tell people what they need to hear, and that may not be what they want to hear. Uh, but uh, yes, you can adjust it downward, but you may not be able to adjust it up. What are, what are some of the gotchas, or maybe not gotchas, but what are some of the things to, to think about and consider when looking at insurance policies or comparing companies? I would come back to what I said earlier, and that is you need to work with somebody that you believe has a real interest in building a relationship with you and doing the right thing for you. Uh, if they are interested in um, simply writing an insurance policy before they take the time to figure out how much you need or what kind you need, uh, you know, I come back to my house. The most important thing about the house is keeping the rain and snow and the wind off, right? Well, if you've got a young family and they need a lot of insurance, probably a term insurance policy is going to be the right answer for them because they may not have four or five hundred dollars a month or three hundred dollars a month to put into premium. Um, 
the insurance agent may make more money selling a whole life insurance policy, but if it's not the right solution for the client because you can't buy as much for the same amount of money, then they've done you no favors. And so I would say that when you meet with someone, you really need to be cognizant of their credentials. You need to understand that they do know what they're talking about, that they didn't uh, just uh, decide to hang out a shingle, and that they are willing to ask you the right questions and then educate you about what you're buying. And that's really critical is that you understand what you're doing. If you run across someone that just pulls out a policy and say, well, and and I, I actually had this happen. Um, I, I had a client who had come to see me after talking to a different agent, and the agent that they had talked to before said, well, you look like a $500,000 kind of guy. That was yeah. literally what they said. And so after running through what I felt like were the right questions to determine how much their needs were, turned out that they needed about 250000 And it also turned out that they needed term insurance uh, rather than the whole life because it was a young family. Sure. Uh, so those are the things to be aware of. If you go to the doctor and you tell him you've got a pain in your side and he pulls out a bottle of pills and says, you ought to take these and call me back next week. Without examining you, you've gone to the wrong doctor. Oh, right? yeah. I know there's there's rating agencies that rate the financial health of insurance companies. But like you just said, it's, it's such a, a personal policy. It is such a personal transaction that you really want to find someone that you trust but also have that relationship with because you're going to need him or her at the darkest of times. And Mm -hmm. so you you don't want that person that working out of the back of their their Studebaker station wagon with a suitcase and then they're off to the next Mm -hmm. town. You want that that person that you know is going to be there and that his or her company is going to be behind you when you need it most. I think that's exactly right. You should compare companies. The AM Best Company, that's A is in Alpha, M is in Mary. AM Best Company, B-E-S-T, is one of the companies that actually rates insurance, uh, life insurance companies. Moody's does the same thing. Um, uh, Fitch, I think, F-I-T-C-H, does the same thing. You want to make sure that that company has been around a while. You know, 100 years or longer would be good because people's life expectancies are approaching that. So you need a company that's been around and paid a few claims. Right. Um, when you work with an agent, you do need to look at their credentials. Uh, are they a, a certified financial planner? Are they a chartered life underwriter? Are they a chartered financial consultant? Uh, because all of those things represent uh, commitment to the industry, and they take uh, a lot of time and, and effort to achieve those, de- those degrees. Uh, and so that kind of knowledge is very important uh, when you're dealing with uh, a subject that's just important. Certainly. So we'll include some links to these agencies that do the ratings in this podcast as well. That would be great. Uh, you might also include a link to CLU, uh, which is the Chartered Life Underwriter, uh, the CHFC, 
which is the Chartered Financial Consultant. Uh, I hold both of those designations. Uh, the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner, is the other one. And you can look up on uh, FINRA, F-I-N-R-A, FINRA.org. You can look and see what the educational requirements are for those uh, degrees, those designations. Okay, good to know. So if I'm hit by a bus tomorrow, <laughs> and <hope> not. <laughs> um, what should I do being, resp- you know, being a responsible member of my family so they can file a claim? Like what documentation should I have available for them? A lot of times um, people will, um, well, they'll almost always have a life insurance policy that has been issued to them mm-hmm. if they own the, the insurance. Uh, I've had clients that put them in safe deposit boxes. I don't think that's a good idea because then nobody can get to them. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the policy can always be replaced if it's lost or stolen mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, burns up in a fire. It can always be replaced for 10 bucks. You write to the insurance company and they'll send you another one. Uh, what you should have a list of is your important advisors, uh, the policy numbers, um, any uh, um, places where you have assets, uh, account numbers. Uh, but you should have a list somewhere and talk to the person that is your representative and make sure that they know where that list is. Mm -hmm. They They don't don't need need the the policy. All they need really is the policy number. If they don't have that, uh, probably your social security number and your name and the knowledge that the policy exists, because if they don't know the policy exists, that's a problem. It's going to be hard to file a claim against something you don't even know is there. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, heaven forbid, but we'll use Jackie's scenario. Uh, (laughs) Hit by a bus. It could happen. Um, do I call the insurance company? Do I go find the the agent's office and through my tears and, and through the weeping and gnashing of teeth, I just present the policy? And, and is that the next step? Or, you know, when a family is presented with the scenario, a, a loved one dies, how do you begin the process to contact the insurance company? That's why the relationship with the agent is so important. Ideally, you always want as an agent you always want a relationship with if if it's a family you want a relationship with both partners uh, so that if that happens they know who to call uh, the the surviving uh, partner in that relationship is often very vulnerable uh, and so to simply call uh, anybody or the insurance company and work in the dark is oftentimes a recipe for disaster. Uh, it's, it's important to um, work with the agent if you have one. If you don't, you should probably work with a trusted uh, advisor to help you get those things in order. Um, to simply file a claim, and you can, you can simply file a claim with the insurance company, send them the paperwork and they'll send you a check or set up an account or something like that. But again, without any direction, that can be, uh, that can be a disaster. Uh, there's a statistic that is unbelievable, but true, and that is that a surviving spouse will spend all of the life insurance money within five years regardless of how much it is. It could be $2 million, it could be $200,000, it could be $20,000, but the money is oftentimes gone within five years. 
uh, simply because that person didn't have any direction. Sure. Uh, and so it is important to work with an advisor that you trust uh, to to make those decisions and help you with that paperwork. Uh, you've already gone through one trauma. You're probably not very well equipped to make significant decisions of any sort, much less financial significant financially significant decisions at that time. Um, you may simply want to set the account up and pay whatever bills. I tell people you should put one foot in front of the other for a year. Uh, don't make any major decisions. Right. Don't make any investments. Uh, don't take the money out and go buy a new house. Don't spend it uh, on a car. Just pay the bills for a year yeah. until you get your feet back on the ground. Don't start helping all the random weird uncles that come up out of the woodwork saying, remember that $20,000 you owed me? Right. It's it's gained interest. Yeah. Right. Inflation. Okay. So moving on. Um, so you touched on this a little bit, but how does life insurance uh, payouts work and is the money taxable? Uh, the death benefit on life insurance policy is one of the major um, uh, economic benefits of life insurance is tax-free. The death benefit is tax-free. Now, any interest that you may earn on that or any investment return that you earn on that after it's invested is taxable. But the, the, the principal death benefit is tax-free. And the way that you would do that is that you would, as I said, get the policy number um, and... Uh, file a claim against that policy number if you're a beneficiary. Uh, if you are the um, personal representative of the estate, you would ascertain what life insurance policies there are. Uh, you would present the insurance company with a letter indicating that you are the personal representative so that they could provide you uh, a list of who the beneficiaries are. And then you would file a claim. Uh, that beneficiary could take it out as a lump sum if they wanted to. They could say, well, there's $20,000 there or there's a million dollars there. Send me a check. Okay, and the insurance company would do that. They can also set it up as effectively as a, as a money, as a, an interest-bearing checking account, and you could write checks on that. They would send you a checkbook, and you could write checks on it. Uh, they could set it up as a lifetime annuity. They could pay it out for the rest of your life based on your life expectancy, or they could set it up as a, a fixed payment plan over a five-year period, 10-year period. It's very, very flexible. I know you've touched on it earlier, the importance of reviewing policies and reviewing things uh, to make sure you have enough coverage or you know, changing in life circumstances. Do we need to adjust our coverage? Is there a time frame? Should this be a, an annual event? I mean... Monthly? What? When I was in private practice, it was always an annual event with okay. my clients. Uh, I always made an appointment to see them once a year. Uh, for one thing, it was good for the relationship. Sure. Uh, and, and the other thing is a lot of things change in a year. Uh, sometimes nothing. And sometimes you go, well, things look like, like they were when we met last year. I don't see any reason to make changes. Uh, but uh, a lot of times things do change. And so I would say minimally at an on an annual basis. Okay. So most of us in the military know about the SGLI, but can you talk a little bit more about this available life insurance for folks that are, are in the military? And probably people have policies and they don't even touch them or look at it. And so, yeah, maybe explain this uh, benefit that we have to us. Right. So your servicemen's group life insurance, which is what... SGLI stands for, is uh, an employer 
if you will, provided life insurance policy. You do pay a minimal amount for it. It comes out of your check. Uh, but but that policy is available to all service members. Uh, the base amount is $400,000. It is a term policy, and it does expire when you leave the military. It's gone. Uh, and so when you're planning for retirement, you need to take that into account because that's going to disappear. Um, and, and you may not want it to disappear. And so what you might want to do is go out and replace it before uh, you leave the military. Um, the biggest problem that I see with the SGLI is that people don't keep their beneficiaries updated. Um, if your mom is the beneficiary and you've gotten married and have a couple of children and you die, your mom is going to get the money, okay, because she was the designated beneficiary. And she may, like, may not like your spouse either. Yeah. <laughs> she like, might not, <laughs> but even if she does, she is still limited as to how much she can give your spouse under gift tax rules. Uh, and I believe that number is, it's been a while since I've looked at that, but I think it's 17000 a year. Uh, under those rules, she cannot give your spouse more than $17,000 a year without incurring gift taxes. Uh, so even if she loves your spouse, uh, you may not want to pay uh, 30 to 40% of that money out in gift taxes. So keeping that beneficiary up and accurate and current is, is very, very important. Also, understanding that when you leave the military and it goes away, um, you've just lost $400,000 that would go to your family when you die, not if, but when. And so the question then is, do I need that much? If not, how much do I need? Uh, and how am I going to replace it? So, Glenn, you're making me think of something. Are, are folks, are you seeing military members have in a second or life insurance policy that is for the outside? Like, are they getting it early to prepare for when they get out? Because, like you said earlier, as you get older, it's harder to get insurance. So, are people being proactive and getting it now, or, or would you even recommend that? I absolutely recommend it, and uh, the people that I work with, I recommend it very strongly. Uh, and and in fact, they do go out and and they buy life insurance from someone. Uh, one of the reasons for that is that particularly if you retire from the military. Or if you're a technician and you have uh, federal retirement, uh, when you leave, you're going to be asked if you want a survivor benefit option uh, for your retirement plan. Uh, if you choose to do that, your retirement pay will be reduced. In the military, it's reduced by 6%. Uh, on the civilian side, uh, there's a formula that they follow, but there is a reduction in that pension plan. In order for your spouse to get any of that pension plan, what has to happen? Do you have to make the election? Oh, they no. have to sign off, right? Did they do, but that's not what I was driving at. In order for them to get a dime, you have to die. Oh. Oh. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> that would that make sense. sense. <laughs> okay, so effectively, you have purchased a life insurance policy from your pension plan. Oh, okay. Do you see how that works? Yeah. So then the question becomes, the, the, okay. The, the purchase being the 6%. And, being the 6%, yeah. the, the amount of reduction that you've taken in your pension for your family or for your spouse or your partner to get anything, sure. you have to take a reduction. That, in any other language, is called premium. Yes. And that's the cost of buying 
effectively the life insurance policy. So I would come back to what I said earlier. You're buying money, right? right? Okay. So then the question is, would it be better to go out when you're younger and buy that money from a life insurance company or uh, to wait until you're older and buy it from the pension plan? And in most cases, uh, it's less expensive to go out and, and buy it from a life insurance company. Sure. Okay. Sure. So um, the, I guess the answer to that is that, yes, you're going to, you're going to have to make decisions when you when you reti- retire, and owning that life insurance policy may be uh, that that outside life insurance policy may be a very good choice mm-hmm. in order to ha- enhance your retirement uh, benefit. Yeah, good food for thought because yeah, that's a lot. Uh, people really need to look at their policies now and oh, start pre- start preparing because you could be in for a big surprise if you're not aware of all of this. Oh, that's absolutely right. And uh, again, this kind of planning can't start early enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably in a better position now to pay those premiums than you're going to be after you retire. Right, and what what may seem you know, arbitrary number, $60 a month for premiums for, for you and your loved ones is really insignificant in the grand scheme of things compared to years and years and years of lost wages and lost income possibility uh, if you don't have the policy in place. So cannot stress enough to those listening and, and, and those that you, you love and, and live with, Plan now, plan early, have the tough conversations, but then keep those records on file and, right. and let people know who are going to handle your estate where those are at. Right. So through their grief, through their struggles, that's that's one thing that's easier on them. You, you mentioned something that brings uh, to mind um, what I what I have told people for years, and that is that the premium, that $60 a month or $300 a month or whatever it is, depending on what you end up buying, that's not the problem. That's the solution. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the solution to the problem. Right. The problem is if you're not here, that's the problem. Uh, no different than buying a saw for the garage. The problem is not the cost of the saw. It's getting the wood cut. Right. Right. Well, looking at the time, um, I'm going to have to say that that wraps up another episode of Cowboy Smart Money, episode five, another one for the books. Please contact us if you have any show ideas or any questions for the next one. I may be experimenting with the next episode, but the next episode will be uh, retirement income. And please reach out to Glenn if you have questions at all. And we'll include all these links he mentioned earlier and his email in this podcast. So please listen, please share, let people know about this podcast. And I want to thank you both again for coming here today. Thank you very much, Jackie. And I would say, just as a reminder, my services are all confidential and they're all free of charge. I'm not selling anything to anybody. Uh, I'm simply providing the best advice that I can based on almost 30 years of experience. So reach out to Glenn and um, thank you again for, for listening to another episode of Cowboy Smart Money. Bye, everyone. Thank you.